Have you ever heard how pearls are formed? According to pearls.com, pearls are formed when an irritant works its way into an oyster. As a defense mechanism, a fluid is used to cut the irritant. Layer upon layer of this coating is deposited until a pearl is formed. The worth of pearls cannot be underestimated, but no one can fathom the process of how it came about. My guest today, Zane Lemtem, has such a story. So many irritations of life have tried to work their way into her life, but the Lord has worked all those situations for good, bringing out His beautiful handiwork through her, both internally and externally. We sit down with her today to hear of this weaving that has brought her to where she is now. Sit back and take notes as she takes us through her story. Welcome listeners. Uh, today on the podcast, I have Zanelem Tembu, a lady that I've always thought of as a wise and great storyteller. She's very practical and intentionally brings that into every vision that she's a part of. In your own words, Zanele, tell us who you are. Hi, Faith. Thank you for having me. And um, hello to the listeners. Uh, I am a daughter um, born to Theo and Johanna Mtembo, who are now both uh, le- uh, late. Uh, I'm a sister to five other sisters, uh, born of my mother and father, and I also have a half-sister. Uh, so actually it's six uh, sisters. I'm an aunt. Uh, I've lost track of how many nieces and nephews I have. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a friend, um, and most of my friendships have been around for many years, more than 10 years. And wow. um, I'm a... I'm an adventurer. I think I'm an explorer by nature. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. I love to travel. I love to meet new people. I love to see new places. I love photography. And, um, you know, I like to laugh a lot. <laughs> and I crack jokes. Mm. Uh, I just have a sense of humor about things. And uh, I also enjoy helping others in whichever way that I can. And uh, mm-hmm. contrary to what most people may think about me, I'm more of an introvert than an extrovert. I, 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 I'm not afraid to be in my own company, in my own space. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, most of all, I'm the daughter of the Most High, born again Christian, mm-hmm. truly wonderfully and fearfully made in his image. And I know this full well. I see myself, and I've shared this with others, as kitsugi, which is something that I've shared before, which is a Japanese art form of um, repairing, you know, broken pottery by mending the areas that are of breakage with precious metal, whether it's silver or gold. So I'm that. Mm. I have this broken life that God Mm. has put together and mended together and, and created this beautiful piece of art. That's how I see myself. Sure. That's a whole um, visual uh, for those that are listening and can visualize uh, or put pictures uh, into words. But it's such a beautiful visual of who you are. And I can attest to 
the the things that you have said there off the page. What what is your favorite African country, if I can ask? And why would you choose that as your favorite? Hmm. Because mm-hmm. I've I've learned so much for each one, but for purposes of uh, the question and something that actually has stood out for me, it's actually Nigeria. Um, okay. And and the reason I I really love I, Nigeria is the pace of Nigeria, and the people of Nigeria. They they are such strong believers. Whether they believe in God, they're very firm in their belief in God and believing in themselves and what they're able to do with what God has given them. It's a lot of people in Nigeria and you have to hustle. You have to push to to make it, Mm -hmm. you know, and that intentionality, that determination, that discipline and focus and never say Mm -hmm. die kind of attitude about the Nigerians. I love that that you, you have a lot of entrepreneurs that come out of Nigeria and mm-hmm. they're not complacent. And I just love that that vibe of saying, I can do this and I, mm-hmm. I, I'm more than able in spite of all the people that are around me um, and the fact that I have to compete with all these people, but I can make it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I love mm-hmm. it for that. Um, and I choose to focus on what is beautiful about Nigeria other than mm. the things that have been negative that I mentioned about it. Wow. That yeah. actually seems like it sums uh, the core of who you are, really. <laughs> the core <laughs> of you know, persisting and never giving up. And regardless of whether there's like so many people doing the same thing, you always choose to stand out. And like I said in the beginning, you are intentional. So you all, you all, just like you've chosen to look at the beauty of Nigeria, you choose to look at your situations from that angle, which is very beautiful. I admire that in you, Sisen. You come from a family of six girls. What was your childhood journey like? Yes, it was a lot of people <laughs> in one house. I still don't know how we lived <laughs> in that house. As, yeah. as six girls and our mother and father but I have a very I had a very wonderful childhood um, mm-hmm. five sisters and you know we were brought up initially by my grandmother so my early childhood was my grandmother taking care of us which is, is, is a beautiful thing when you can have your grandmother as your nanny as the person that brings you up as you know and takes care of you mm-hmm. and nurtures you uh, but even though that was a wonderful side of it, you know, her cooking porridge in the morning for us, telling us stories, I still have those memories. She mm-hmm. also was someone that didn't particularly like me very much. You know, I was the fourth daughter uh, to my mother and father, and I came out dark compared to my older sisters looking like my mother. And I don't know what's mm. this thing between daughters-in-law and mothers-in-law, but there was that rift between my mother and 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 my grandmother. She didn't like my mm. mother very well. And I came out looking like my mother. So I then became the target of her very hateful words. You know, she gave me a, a nickname called, and she called me Nyami. Nyami is a dark one, right? Um mm. It's, it's not really a term of endearment. It might sound like it, but my, with me, it 
it, it wasn't a good thing that she called me mm-hmm. that. So I was always on the receiving end of her hateful words and things that she did to me. Sure. So my mother became my my ally, my refuge, you know, because she would protect mm-hmm. me. She would always be there for me. Um, mm-hmm. So that was not a great part of my childhood. But what I also, but apart from that, let me put it that way, we had a wonderful childhood. My my parents mm-hmm. were were both uh, all away most of the time. You know, my father being a journalist and a boxing manager and trainer traveled a lot. My mother was a, a midwife, so she was away in hospital. You know, they worked seven to seven, seven in the morning, seven at night. So we we were always with a helper after my grandmother passed away, or during the holidays we would be shipped away to my father's friends. Uh, so I, you know, I was taken away from home, sent to a friend so that I can at least be safe and be there. And that was during the holidays. Um, mm-hmm. We, being a big family, we always had people around. You know, we always had yeah. people around. I remember home was always buzzing. My mother was a great hostess. My father always had these friends from, I mean, all races. In our home, we would have colored Indian white people coming you know so we were introduced to that at a very early age uh, we traveled i was on the plane at age five you know my home was a big home in fact my father built such a big home that we didn't have enough space in the yard to play so we played in the street <laughs> and we, you know so we're privileged in many ways and i think my, our to an extent my parents sheltered us from what was really happening in South Africa at the time in terms of apartheid, because this was okay. uh, se- late 60s and early 70s. So we were in the throngs of apartheid, but our home, because of always being with other nationalities, we didn't feel like we were different, you know, like there was something happening in the country. Um, yeah, so it was a beautiful childhood. Um, my father cooked after my grandmother died. My father always cooked porridge in the morning for us until just before he passed on. He always cooked porridge for us in the morning, you know, even sure. because my mother would leave to go to the hospital to be at the hospital by 7 a.m. My father would be left with us. They w- he would take us to school, uh, drive us to school, drop us off. You know, uh, we were raised Catholic so it was a, mm. a, a full, beautiful, uh, privileged, if I may say, childhood, mm. um, except for that one blight, you know, being the, the, my grandmother and, and, and how she treated me. Um, and that was the only, I would say, yeah, oil, I, I mean, fly in the ointment for me. Mm. How did that uh, influence your your direction in life in terms of your self worth and you know uh, in your introduction you said that you are fearfully and wonderfully made how did you get there after having had that experience in your childhood? Um, you it took years, hey Faith, to get to a mm. point where I really appreciated who I was. It began with my father, really, you know, once my uh, grand um, grandmother was gone and my mother was gone. Well, let's say it started with my mother. My mother was the one who would always reassure me. But I was, I guess I was young to really understand some of the things. But she was always there for me. 
But then she died when I was young. And then my father, you know, was there to take care of us. And he always reassured us. He allowed us to be who really were created to be. And much, much, much later in life, um, when I accepted Christ, that's when I began to mend. That's when I began to really appreciate who God has made, has created me to be. But also that everything that I had gone through, even as painful as it was, that it mm. was part of this person that I am today, you know, mm. um, that we go through adversity and, it, and, and we really begin to appreciate the value of things uh, on the other side, you know, when we look back. And that's how I came to really appreciate. It was really through Christ, receiving Christ, the word of God, telling me who I am. And with mm. me, God, he really has to reveal himself through his word and once I catch it I catch it and so that scripture in in Psalm 139 that talks about how fearfully and wonderfully made I am once it mm. dropped into my spirit nobody could tell me otherwise it actually reinforced what my father had been saying to me over the years the freedom that he had given me you know how much he appreciated me as his daughter uh, and so God did that for me, and and I began to really appreciate who I am. I can't really put it into words, but you know, you you have to grasp the word of God for yourself. And once you mm. grasp it, nobody can take that away from you. Yes, that's so true. So I know. I mean, you are talking about your experience that happened years ago, but mm. there are people that. Uh, also are experiencing it now. I know in the country there's this thing about being a yellow born and being better than uh, the, the darker <laughs> sisters. What is yeah. it that you would say to, to encourage the one that feels like, you know what, I'm not, I don't exactly look like the way society wants me to look? Yeah, one thing that I know and what, what I can say actually to that person is that you are exactly the way you are supposed to be. We are different, just like our fingerprints. I think we all go and take fingerprints once we are of age and have to get an ID book because that mm -hmm. fingerprint sets us apart, differentiates us from everybody else. My mm -hmm. fingerprint is even different to my sisters of the same, and we come from the same genes, you know, from the same blood, mother and father, mm -hmm. but we're all different. That's exactly how you're supposed to be. You're not supposed to look like somebody else. You're supposed to be as unique, different as your fingerprint. Mm. And we all come in different packages, shapes and form. So you are exactly what you're supposed to be. And you will only appreciate your beauty, really, of how beautiful you are once you acknowledge and accept that you are not the same as the next person and that this is not a competition either. Mm. You know, we are meant to be exactly the way we are. There is mm. no other way I can say it, a faith, other than to say you are exactly the way God has created to be. And unfortunately, mm. the media, especially the media, tells us otherwise. I mm. didn't appreciate how I look because I was always called Nyami, 
the dark one, which made me feel like there was something very wrong with me, especially when I look at my sisters who are lighter than me, right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. when I came to the realization that actually I look like my mother. So my mother was dark and my mother is a beautiful woman, you know, was a beautiful woman. So it means I'm beautiful. Just like God Mm. says that I made you this way. I made you with so much care and love and respect for who you are. You are my creation. You are like me, you know, you are wonderful as you are. You are special as you are. And once I began to see that, I began to see my, how beautiful I am. The, mm. the head that I thought was big actually wasn't even big, but I thought it was big, you know. God sure. begins to reveal so many things about you. My eyes, I always thought I had small eyes. I don't know who told me that, but I've got big eyes and there's nothing wrong with my eyes. But maybe somebody had told me at some point that small eyes are actually nicer than big eyes, you know. Yeah. So this is a process, but you are unique. You are different. You are exactly the way God meant for you to be. Sure. That's so powerful. And I hope uh, someone out there that's listening is actually being encouraged by that, by your story, Zaneli. I'm just going to shift a, a little bit and go back to your point. You say you lost your mom, I think, early on in life. It was a critical point for you in your life. How did that season impact you? Yeah, it. Yeah, I lost my mother at age 12. I was turning 13 that year. She died in June and I was turning 13 in August. So it was my first year in boarding school. I was doing standard six, which is grade eight now. Um, so everything was a first boarding school, you know, and I'd gone to a, 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 a girls' school in under seminary which is an American missionary school in Durban. So everything was exciting. My mother had packed that stuff for me, had done so much for me, made sure that I have had everything, you know, to go to school. So when I went back home in June for the June holidays, I arrived home on a Thursday. My mother died Saturday. But that Thursday, she took us shopping. Uh, so we shopped because now, having spent the first term in school, I knew exactly what I needed, right? So I came home, I told my mom, mom, I need this and that and that, mom, I need this and that and that. So we went shopping on a Thursday. And unfortunately, she then died in a car accident that Saturday. And we were in the same car together. She was the only fatality in the car. So going back to school uh, in July, I had no mother. The excitement of having shared my first term in school was gone because now I no longer had a mother that I could speak of. All of a sudden, I couldn't say, ma, this, ma, that, because my mother was gone. Mm. So it, it changed my life. I became, I only realized this later on, that I really withdrew. I withdrew because my ally, the one person that I depended on, was gone. Remember, my father was gone most of the time as a journalist. So my mother was the one who was there and the helpers, you know, our nannies who took care of us was there. So now that she was gone, who was there for me? You know, I couldn't talk to her. I couldn't go to her anymore. I couldn't be protected by her. And the other thing is that my eldest sister at the time, we didn't get along because she was influenced by my grandmother not to like me, right? 
So I really had no one. And so I kept to myself. I think my independence began then where I said, I have to take care of me. I have to take care of, yeah, you know, everything that I need because now my protector is gone. Um, Yeah, you know, so everything is up to me. Um, But I withdrew and my lack of confidence in myself, which was unfortunately planted in me by my grandmother, grew, you know, and it didn't help that I went to a school of very brilliant girls and also very beautiful girls. Inanda Seminar is known for the beautiful Mm. girls and who are very intelligent. So all of a sudden, even though I was admitted to the school because I gather, I mean, I guess I fitted, but all of a sudden I didn't think I belonged. Mm. You know, so I was withdrawn. Um, Yeah, I like to laugh and stuff, but I wasn't the best that I could be, even in terms of my performance in school. No, I wasn't. And in fact, at some Mm. point, our school principal had to take over and help my father because I just was not coping in high school. Mm. So the involvement of the principal is what um, got you out of that space or did you find healing from another place or source uh, at the time she she helped in that you know she she was there as a mother figure to at least help me to get through high school you know to mm. pass because i actually moved out of the dem- dormitory to go and live with her in her house that's how okay. bad things were so, you know so she really yeah. helped me to pass my trick i wouldn't say at the time that i i, I I appreciated or recognized the role that she was playing at that time. But in retrospect, I realized that she was a mother figure who was concerned about this child and this child fading and this child not being able to make it in life. She's the one who took me shopping for our metric dance. You know, Um, she's the one who took me shopping, bought me the dress and, Mm. you know, made me feel special. So she, she really helped me during that time and to transition to make sure that I pass metric and then, you know, move on. Uh, but in terms of confidence, not really. I, I still just didn't think I was, as, you know, like the other girls were really beautiful girls, like I said, really smart girls. And unfortunately, you know, when you don't think highly of yourself, you become your worst nightmare because you, you, you actually fulfill what you are thinking without realizing, mm. you know. So it's yeah. a self-fulfilled prophecy in a way that I'm not as good. So of course, you're not going to work as hard. Of course, you're not going to, you know, uh, apply yourself as much as you're supposed to. And as a result, you don't do as well as you're supposed to had you believed in yourself in the first place. Mm. So my high school wasn't my best uh, performance. Mm. Sure. Mm. Um, so your dad also was in the picture. He didn't just, you know, up and leave you and the rest of the girls. Um, what is it that you, you cherish about that time with your dad? And I mean, there's not many single dads out there now. So what is it mm. that, I mean, that's that's a huge thing to do, to be a single dad to six girls. <laughs> so yeah. what is it that you cherish about that time and about him being um, present in your life? You know, Faith, you ask a question. Uh, you're bringing me almost to tears. Um, 
Sure. You know, my father was widowed at the age of 50. That's young. Mm. And he was a handsome guy. <laughs> he mm. was an eligible widower. He could have remarried. But yeah. he chose, he made a decision not to remarry so that he can take care of us. And that mm. for me is the kind of selflessness that I only see reflected, you know, by God, right? Um, mm. He was selfless. He said, okay, fine, I'm going to put my daughters first ahead of my own needs, ahead of my own wants, because mm. I want to make sure that I don't drop the ball with these girls. I mm. want them to be able to realize their fullest potential as if their mother was still here. Sure. So my father became the best mother, I think, one could ask for in a man. Sure. He chose not to add any more grief or challenges or stress to our family. He was a boxing trainer and manager, and he had to mm. juggle that with raising girls. I mean, these are polar opposites. Yeah. <laughs> Others are delicate and others are supposed to be strong <laughs> and, you know. But he balanced yeah. these two worlds and he balanced them so well. And out of that, what our father did for us is to help us appreciate who we are, that we may be different from the boys, but we were equal to them, sure. that there was nothing that the boys could do that we couldn't do, apart from, wow. brute, you know, sheer brute strength, of course. The boys would be stronger yeah. than we are. But everything else, we are the same, you know? Mm. So he also taught us so to believe in ourselves, to be fearless. He encouraged me to travel, to see the world, to meet new people. You said I'm a storyteller, so I've got to tell you something my father said. <laughs> At my 40th birthday, um, we were celebrating, and my father said, he, he spoke, and he said, you know, Zanele should have been a boy. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. what? I said, should have been a boy. Because I took in everything that he had told me about how special I am, the fact that I'm, I'm the same as guys, you know, that I can do whatever I wanted to do. I guess I took it to another level. <laughs> <laughs> and I did far more than what I suppose he had expected, but I, I began to yeah. act like boys, you know, uh, <laughs> my, just my fearlessness and my courage and just wanting to do things for myself, buying my first car, you know, there were things that I did that my father would say. So he said, I should have been a boy, you know. <laughs> he taught me yeah. to value family. Mm. You know, as I said, growing up, we, 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 there were always people you know, around our house, valuing family and friendships and relationships. Mm. My, my father brought us together as the girls because we had no one else. So he wanted to make sure that we were there and happy and, and trust each other and, you know, help each other. Um, so mm. he instilled that in us. And I saw that in him because he took care of his family. He took care of his nephews and his nieces. He took care of mm. his sister and his mother. You know, so mm. it's he instilled family and being there for each other, working with each other, helping each other, supporting each other, and most of all, respecting others. 
and being mm. humble, you know. And my father taught me a lot, a lot of things. As a man, of course, he couldn't express himself the way I would have maybe appreciated when it came to boyfriends and relationships. He would say things and only years later, <laughs> I understood what my father was saying. And I'm like, you know, because he's a man, he would say it like a man. You know, men are, are, are men of few words, of course, you know. Yeah. But he mm. would say things uh, to us. I remember this one time, uh, my boyfriend had gone into exile and he came back after years and we were all excited, celebrating, of course I was. And my father said one thing and he said, hmm, Zanel, this boy, he is full of the bush. He's going to give you problems. And I was like, what is my father talking about? <laughs> I was wow. so angry at him, you know, like how can he not be excited for me? And it's a guy that he knew, you know, before he went into exile. How can he... It's only years later that I understood what my father was talking about. <laughs> After the problems. <laughs> After the problems. What he meant by this boy is full of the bush and he's going to give you problems. <laughs> no, the you know, bush had not been taken out. No, it had not. And 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 yeah, I learned, I learned it. Yeah. Anyway, that's a story for another day. He taught me my fi- my first uh, lesson in how to in, in managing my, my finances was my father was from my father. Mm-hmm. Sure. I got myself into debt. You know, my first job I was given, you know, you're given as a graduate, you're given all these packages and you get into yourself into debt, a car, this and that and that. I don't even know what I was spending the money on, but I got into debt. And then mm. in the middle of that I had to go overseas. You know, I got a scholarship to go overseas. So I had mm. to ask my father to settle my debt for me so that I can go overseas. And he said to me, okay, if I was going to leave you an inheritance, if I was going to leave you an inheritance, just know that you've mm. taken your share because I'm paying for your debt. <laughs> <laughs> wow, so straightforward. Yeah, he was like, so you're not going to get anything from me. You've taken your share. Because I'm taking over your car payments, I'm paying off your credit card, I'm paying. So that's your share. <laughs> and that was a good lesson for me, not to get myself yeah. into debt. You know, wow. when I I couldn't go to university, or I didn't know what I wanted to study in university, my father said, "Listen, my daughter, stay home, because I'm not going to pay for someone who doesn't know what they want to do." Sure. Right. So I took what is now famously known as the gap year because mm. my father just said, I'm not going to pay for someone who doesn't know what they want to do. But it was also yeah. a lesson in take your time. There's nothing wrong with you not knowing. Take your time, figure yourself out. And when you are ready, I will support you. So mm. that's my father for me. Wow. And, sure. Yeah. A man of, of wisdom. That is, is, is so beautiful. So what, what, in short, what would you say to encourage uh, a single dad out there or a, a, a daughter that's being raised by, by the dead and there's no mom in the picture? Yeah, what I would say is that uh, your mom is not you. I mean, your dad is not your mom. He, he will do the best that he can as a man because men and women are different. You know, mm. and as long as he's there to support you, as long as he's there to encourage you, as long as he's there to do 
things for you, you are actually in a much better place than if he wasn't there for you. Just the sheer presence of your father is a good thing for you because there's so much that you learn from men that you won't learn from women, mm. you know? So the encouragement is that don't compare. Your father is your father and he will never be your mother. And as long as he's doing the best that he can, appreciate that because many really do not have that. Mm. And to the single dad? To the single dad, you play a very important role in your child's life, especially your daughter's life. Because first and foremost, you are the one who teaches your daughter or who shows your daughter what a man is supposed to be like, what a man is mm. supposed to do for a woman, or who a man is supposed to be for a woman. That is the first mm. relationship your daughter will have with someone of the opposite sex. So it plays a very important role in affirming her, in mm-hmm. you know, encouraging her to be who she is, telling her how beautiful she is, encouraging her to be the best that she can be. Um, mm. So that's your role because you are the first relationship of the opposite sex with your daughter. And it, in many ways, it, it really sets a precedence in terms of how your daughter sees herself in relationships. Uh, mm. You know, yeah. It sets sure. the example for your daughter. That's, that's so profound. Uh, single dads out there, I hope you're encouraged, as well as the daughters that are being raised by their dads. Um, moving on to looking at your career, I know that you are in the film industry and you ha- that career has actually taken you to many places and allowed you to work on numerous projects with many people. Um, what are the achievements that you have uh, under your belt in that industry and what footprint have you left, especially here in South Africa? I think... The achievements for me, uh, just looking first, let me say at myself and what I've been able to do, I was able to achieve what I wanted to do in terms of being amongst the first black women, um, you know, on, on the broadcasting side of things, not just in terms of production, you know. Mm-hmm. I was the first in the company that I was employed with, which is a big production company in South Africa called Penguin Films. I was the first black woman to work there as a as, as a as a, 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 a what you call not just the staff that helps, you know, but actually as an employee who is contributing to us the work that they've done. So I'm I was able to get that scholarship to go overseas. Selected amends many to do that. So I'm happy about that because what it has helped me to do is to share young women, particularly other young black women and boys, to say it's possible for you to do this. You may not be the mm-hmm. first, but we have gone ahead of you to open the you know the way for you. So by all means, take 
full advantage of the opportunities and the fact that others have done it before you. My mm. proudest achievement is really in setting up the incubator in 2017. Yes, it didn't work out, uh, but I was able to put together something where for a whole year we were mentoring film and television graduates and helping them understand the business of television and film. Sure. And we were support we managed to raise funding and we were supported by the Department of Sports, Arts and Culture. Mm. Um, I've learned a lot from that project and I will go back to it because there were a lot of lessons for that. So it wasn't a failure for me. It it was a, it it was an opportunity to see how practically it, it, it could work. Yeah, but it should work actually moving forward. Mm. I'm proud of being um right now in a position where I can be part of advocating for the rights of women, you know, um, in the television and film industry. I'm currently working with an organization called Sisters Working in Film and Television mm -hmm. and helping to create safe spaces for women uh, in the industry to work in. We know how rampant sexual harassment and discrimination against women is in the industry. And I'm part of an organization that is working towards eradicating that in the industry. Mm -hmm. And it's all because of the kind of respect and uh, recognition that I have in the industry that I even became a board member of that organization. So these are my accomplishments and I don't want it to end there. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, I really want to be able to do more. Even when I was heading up Newsroom Africa, one of the things that I really focused on is making sure that we employ young people to start their station, you know, mm. so that we can groom them, so that they can grow, so that they can have the opportunities that they don't usually get, you know. Yeah, so they don't get those opportunities, you know, as you're asked for experience, but nobody's willing to is willing or prepared to give you the opportunity to gain that experience. Yes. So yeah. those are the things that I, I, I'm proud of, you know, being able to empower young people, being part of developing young people and making sure that they are able to realize their potential in the industry. Sure. That is, that is really, I think, good. And we need a lot of people like that who... Uh, think in terms of generations and not just for the now because there is a yes. culture that needs yes. to be passed on from us to the generations to come. So if there's any young lady or man that wants to get into the film industry and is listening right now, what advice would you give to them? Believe in yourself. Mm. You know, unfortunately for a lot of young people, they don't believe in themselves. You have to believe in yourself. You also mm. have to ask. Unless you ask, you will never know, you know. Mm. Uh, and you will not get what you want. Mm. Also, the reality is that someone can either say yes or no, but that is not at all a pronouncement on you. It's simply mm. just a yes and a no. And I know that it's it's difficult to take a no, but that mm. no might be for your good, you know? Mm. It's not a pronouncement on your capability or who you are. It just simply means that it's, that is not your opportunity. Mm. 
And while you are waiting, don't just wait, do something, prepare yourself, mm. work. I mean, when I didn't get into the film and, and TV space, when I came out of university, I worked, I worked for IBM. I was a marketing person selling computers, computers, mm. right? Far removed from what I'm, but what that taught me was to understand the culture of corporate, what corporates look for, you know, mm-hmm. to to appreciate working, what what it means to work, to uh, my first lesson about pay, you know, your gross and your net salary came because I worked, mm. that I have to pay taxes and you know all kinds of things. It's because I worked. It wasn't the work that I wanted, but these things prepared me for the workplace, to be a professional. So don't just sit and not do anything. If you are interested, work, do something else. Mm. Whatever you learn is not, go, is not going to waste. You will see how that will, will, you know, will help you in your actual career. Mm. And lastly, be humble and be respectful because mm. that can burn your bridges or close doors for you. Mm. as quickly as they can open if you are respectful and humble. Sure. Young people out there, there's so much wisdom to glean from there. I hope Mm. you will listen and you will actually work it out in your life as you move towards your goal in the film industry. While Mm. still on the film industry, what is your opinion about the state of the film and entertainment industry of our time now? It's actually quite exciting. Mm-hmm. It's a very dynamic industry. Lots of opportunities uh, for something new, for something different, mm. for positive narratives, you know, stories. Because um, right now, a lot of our stories actually promote the same things. It's violence, it's sex, it's uh, you name it. It's all negative. So there's opportunities for all types of narratives. Mm. It's an opportunity because the, the television and film are very powerful mediums. They shape societies. Mm. They shape people. You know. So there's opportunity to tell a different story, mm. positive stories, and that's what I'm interested in. And I know it's possible. People will tell you that, and I've heard this many times. People enjoy, you, you can see how these stories, um, I mean, how these drama series and stuff get very high ratings. A lot of people watch them, but nobody mm. has offered them the opposite. Yes. And sure. in the first place, they never asked for these stories. They were given to them and then they consumed them. Mm. And they got used to that diet. It doesn't mean, that tells me that if you give people something, over time, they begin to enjoy it because they have no alternative. So it's time we provide them with the alternative of mm. stories that speak about, you know, positive stories, positive role models, yeah. stories that talk about abstaining, stories that talk about marriages that work, po- stories that talk about young people that don't have to be sleeping around, you know, that can mm-hmm. be about abstaining. There's uh, so many opportunities. And I know this because I worked for a a broadcaster, at least in the U.S., that 
was able to package factual content. Discovery up to today is one of the most successful channels and companies because they took factual content and presented it in such a way that people enjoyed and it, you know, consuming it. And, and they competed with narrative stories or your fiction stories. So mm. it's possible to present people with positive stories about themselves, about the world they live in, that mm. they can enjoy and consume. So for me, the opportunities are there for new entrants, presenting Black mm. people in a different way, presenting mm. women in a different way. Really, wow. the world of film and television is our oyster. Um, you, you mentioned the sisters working in film and television. So there are some women that may be listening that don't really know about it. They don't know how to get involved so that they can get help or support. How do they become part of it? So we are on the website and we have also Instagram, you know, Twitter and uh, Facebook. Uh, yeah, Swift underscore SA, right? Sisters working in film and television. That's how they can join. We're an organization that focuses exclusively on common concerns amongst women, common experiences, and we advocate for women's rights, um, we, we, we advocate for parity uh, of, of women in terms of pay and representation. So it's equal representation of women across the value chain. There's, we also develop women uh, through mentorship, our mentorship program and our skills programs. We also showcase films that are made by women. So there's a lot, but the, 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 the biggest focus, our biggest objective is to lobby for women's equal representation in the industry in terms of uh, uh, also specifically parity, pay parity, mm -hmm. and also lobbying government to change the laws in order to protect women um, mm. in the industry, to create a safe working space for women in our industry. Mm. So that they, they definitely can just Google Sisters Working in Film and Television and, and, and be able to, to find us and join. Um, and there are different categories of, of, of membership um, very reasonable membership that we pay. It, it really sounds like a, a great um, organization, especially seeing as it's still Women's Month and there are some issues that pertain to women that really need to change. If there's a, there's a lady that is in film industry and needs that kind of, of network, please don't hesitate to yeah. make them Moving on from that, I know that you are a, a recipient of a kidney. Uh, tell us how that really unraveled in your life. So I was diagnosed, uh, yeah, so I was diagnosed with kidney failure in May of 1998. This was shortly after I had lost my son. Um, so he was born but didn't live long. And later on, I found out that he, he died because his lungs were underdeveloped. Um, didn't know at the time that th that was because of kidney failure. So I knew later on that uh, when I was diagnosed with kidney failure, the reason for, for my, my son's death. 
Um, so after that, I was told, when I was diagnosed with kidney failure, I was told that I would have to be on dialysis. And uh, dialysis, that's when you, you go to the hospital, you are attached to a machine. The machine then works. Uh, what it does is that it cleans your blood because your, your kidneys have, com- have stopped working. Right. Mm. So the machine is used to clean your blood, to take out all the toxins and all the, the, the water that you, you, you would have retained in the body. So that was the, the it was going to be either dialysis or if I was fortunate and get a kidney, then I would get off dialysis. Mm. Uh, so that, that was devastating for me. It was a shock to me because I really didn't know much about kidney failure. I remember something vaguely, but it was not something that you even think would ever happen to you. You know, like what is kidney mm-hmm. failure? Yeah. And being told that there are only two options really now. You have to depend on, your mach- on a machine to clean your blood for the rest of your life. Or you get a donor to give you an organ. So this happened while I was living in the U.S., in Washington, far from home. Eventually, I decided then that, you know, it's better for me to go back home so that I'm with my family uh, during that time, you know. So I came back to South Africa. Um, I immediately got onto dialysis at Johannesburg Hospital, at Charlotte McGregor Hospital, because my sisters were willing to test and to give me a kidney. So whoever was a match was then going to give me a kidney. And I was very blessed in that my sisters were were willing to do that for me because that's very rare. So um, my youngest sister was found to be the closest match to me, which was exciting. But unfortunately... When we were going through the tests, because they had already determined that she's the closest match, but then there are other tests that she has to go through. They then found out, and she found out, actually, that she was pregnant. (laughs) Sure. So that meant that then she was not going to be able to give me a kidney within Mm -hmm. the time frame that I was expecting to get a kidney. And the reason that we needed to fast track this process of me receiving an organ was because I was having problems with access for dialysis. My veins were collapsing, you know. All, yeah. So they they couldn't really, they had to find different um, areas to to put the needles in for dialysis. And that was proving to be a, a, a problem. So access was becoming a problem for me. That's why we needed to fast track me getting a kidney as soon as possible so that I can get off dialysis. But unfortunately, when we found out that she was pregnant, that then it meant that I would have to continue being on dialysis. I then decided to put my name on the national list for a, an organ donor. Yeah. Mind you, in the meantime, I'm having access problems, right? I yeah. have lost weight. Now I'm about 1.64 meters tall. I'm not a short person, but I had lost so much weight. I was 49 kilograms. Sure. I was skinny. <laughs> <laughs> you were not there. 
you <laughs> i was almost gone i was as dark as they come almost ashy looking and then i had these these tubes on the side of my neck because now the veins were collapsing so they had to access i get gain access for dialysis through my neck and so i had these tubes so you can imagine i was looking scary so that's why i decided to put my name on the list and literally 9 months later almost 9 uh on september 1st 1999 i received a call in the morning and they told me you need to come to a host- hospital immediately because we've got an organ for you how did you feel oh gosh i got out of bed immediately i couldn't wait i was excited i just you know what it was like i don't know what you call it it was like winning a lotto i don't know what it feels like to win a lotto i've not never won it before but it was exciting <laughs> i was besides myself so sure. and you know my father used to drive me to the hospital every other day because uh, dialysis is three times a week for four hours at a time so my days were tuesday uh, thursday and saturday so when they called me i said to my father i am driving myself to the hospital so this is a person who used to wake up every morning at 5 a.m. to take me to the hospital right but i said i'm driving myself to the hospital don't worry oh, wow. i've got this that's how excited <laughs> i was <laughs> so i got into the car i literally drove myself to charlotte macleke hospital sure and i parked the car i ran upstairs to the sixth floor got there and they were waiting and here's something that i had forgotten i had forgotten that when a a, a, a kidney on a kidney becomes available they are, they call at least three people yeah so you're not the only one called you know three people potential recipients because sometimes you they might you might find that you are not healthy enough to undergo what is a major operation or there might be other reasons why you can't be so one of you at least should be able to get this kidney okay. and you know what i knew this kidney was mine i knew it from the time i left the house because when i got there we i got there at the same time with this other guy he used to dialyze at helen joseph yeah. so he wasn't familiar with johannesburg hospital i got there i went and fetched my file he had forgotten his file so he has to bring his file from helen joseph with him sure. because he, he wasn't dialyzing at joburg hospital faith yes i felt bad for the man that you know but li- listen i knew this kidney was mine so there was still a fight because i had a slight infection remember i, I said that my, i had access i had these tubes down my neck right So I had a little bit of of an infection there some kind of abscess but it was superficial you know it wasn't all the way in yeah. so once they tested that everything was fine so I was good to go to the to to the theater I had another obstacle so the head of the department nephrology where I was dialyzing felt that I should give my spot to this guy because I had a sister who was willing to give me a kidney even though he knew that i was having problems with access mm. and i said no this is my kidney i am here and i'm going to get this kidney mm. <laughs> there was a huge fight that led to the professor the the surgeon the ch- chief surgeon literally walking from the theater section about two blocks away to come to to the ward where i was being prepped for surgery to ask 
what is happening? Why is this person not coming to theater? That was the fight for me to get this kidney. And I remember Professor Porter said, listen, this woman is now my patient. You, head of nephrology, are out of the picture. From this point on, she is my patient. So you have nothing to say. They wheeled me into the operating room. And as they say, the rest is history. There was a fight. There was a fight, which I I believe now, because I'm a Christian, that it was a a warfare to deny me a gift that God was giving me. How many years? 21 years next month. In a few days' time, it will be 21 years. And on the 1st of September. We would have been deprived of you for 21 years. Wow. Yeah, no, it's God's plan. God's plan. You know, Faith, this was a divine intervention because the kidney that I was given, that I received from a 19-year-old white male was an exact tissue type match to my kidney. I mean, to my body, exact tissue type. So this is a white male, not related to me, but he had the exact tissue type as me. Wow. Tell me that's not divine intervention, and I'll tell you otherwise. So what is it that you learned about God in all of this? I've learned first and foremost that God truly did create us all, all of us, in his image, in his likeness. We are the same people. We may come in different wrapping on the outside, white, black, short, tall, whatever, but we are the same because he created all of us in his image. That's Mm -hmm. what he has taught me. And because of that, I really have very low tolerance for racism because I know it, that we're the same. No one Mm -hmm. is better than the other. We're the same, you know. What has also, what I've also learned from this process is that, you know what, God truly plans and works all things together in his time for our good. Mm. He really does. He, I mean, I, I can just see him bring, you know, take this, bring it here and take that, literally, mm. for our good. That sure. his plans are truly to prosper us. And to give us a hope, because even through dialysis, through all the challenges, I never feared, I never even had any thought of death enter my mind. Hmm. Because God was watching, God was in charge. I didn't know him at the time, but looking back, he was watching over me. So that sense of peace, you know, the kind of peace that the word says it surpasses human understanding? You cannot explain it. You cannot fathom it. It's that peace that I had at the time because God was watching and he was working things together for my good. That's what I've learned from God. That's such a powerful, power-packed testimony. Um, Are you doing anything in terms of kidney advocacy or really sharing the story? Because I believe a lot of people really need to hear it and uh, it might even be a lifesaver for someone out there that has a problem with their kidneys. Yeah, <laughs> I stop and start. <laughs> <laughs> I must be very honest. I stop and start. I've been given opportunities to share. 
you know, mm-hmm. being invited by different people who know my my story. But here's what I've come to appreciate. Yes, I, I am part of an organization that helps support people that are on dialysis, but I haven't really done much in terms of my story. And this is, I don't like, I'm good with small groups of people. I don't like being on a stage or a platform. I've never liked that. You know, I said earlier that I am more of an introvert than an extrovert, believe it or not. You know, with these positions, as I, as I, like sisters working in film and television, the incubator and stuff, I've been forced more and more through leadership to be in the forefront, to be in spaces that I'm uncomfortable to be with, to speak in front of people. And, yeah. and I believe that has been preparation for what I really have to do in my life. When it's going to start, it's going to start soon. That is my heart, is to share my story, but not just to share it, to help people. Mm. You know, educating them about kidney failure, encouraging people to be organ donors, uh, most of all to be supportive to their family members that are sick. Uh, my family was behind me 100%, and, that, and my friends were, were behind me 100%. And that helps a lot, because no matter how strong you are, but if you don't have a support structure, Mm. You, you you really cannot overcome some of the challenges that are too much for you on your own. Definitely. So those are the things that I can share. But I think I'm, I've been prepared over time to be able to be comfortable to really stand in, in front of people and do something uh, worthwhile with mm. my experience. Yeah. Well, we're looking forward to the future and seeing how you will um, go forward with this very encouraging and inspiring story. Um, On a closing note, what would you say is the common thread in your life? You've you've spoken about different aspects of your life in terms of workspace, in terms of family. What exactly would you say is the common thread? Um, The common thread, it's like a roller coaster ride. I've had the highest highs and the lowest lows. Mm. But through it all, God has been with me, right? So God has been the common thread even before I came to know him, that Mm. he's there. Family has been a common thread. A family Mm. that walks together, that prays together, and that does war together. We support each other, even in times of you don't come against any of my sisters and we don't do something about it. What has been a common thread is also friends. The word of God tells us that uh, in Proverbs, I'm trying to remember now the exact, but anyway, in Proverbs, that, you know, I mean, Mm. a, a friend is born for adversity, but a brother loves at all times. And that has been a common thread. My family has been there through adversity. My friends have been there through adversity and they've loved and we've supported each other. So those have been common threads. So the one big one is love. Love Mm. in everything. The love of God, the love of family, the love of friends. Through it all. And that is what has helped me to be where I am today. Truly, uh, Zanele, your story is so inspiring 
And like you said, it's all about love. Uh, I love how, you know, in each and every place, there were people that God specifically picked to be in your life, to be intertwined with, so that you could actually keep moving forward, really pointing mm. out the power of relationships, you know, relationship with him, relationship with your, your family, your friends, mm-hmm. and whoever God brings in, in line with, with you. So what would be the last, last word to, of encouragement to people that are listening and that have also felt, you know, my life is a roller coaster. I really don't know whether I'm coming or going. What is it that you'd say to them? Faith, there's nothing that beats having God, Christ in your life. He is truly the center of it all. He is the foundation of it all. Mm. So the priority in your life, in my life, is God, Christ, family, friends, and everything else after that. Because Mm -hmm. people matter to God. And that's why I'm talking about people and not other things. Mm. People matter to God. And as you said, he places people in your life for a reason. Choose Christ first. Mm. Love your family. Respect your family. They are there for you. And even if your family, you don't get along, strive for you to get along in your family because family also matters to God. Mm. And friends, and be wise in how you choose your friends. I've said that I've got friends for years and there's a reason for that. I don't have too many friends, but I've got friends that I've been with for many, many years. So that's my encouragement to people. People. Matter. Amen to that. Thank you so much, uh, Zanile. When uh, pearls are formed, it's through an irritation that is coming, but you've, you know, imaged as such a, a beautiful pearl, which is immense value. Finally, where can people reach you if they want to connect with you in terms of your social media platforms? I am on Instagram. So it's Zanele M011. Mm-hmm. I'm on Twitter. Uh, same, Zanele M011. I was on Facebook. I, I think I still have a profile there, but I'm really more on Instagram than any of the others. But those are my, that's my handle mm. on, on Instagram. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. I hope the people that have been listening are living inspired. Thank you, Faith, for the opportunity. And I truly, really hope that I have, I will make a difference. Uh, I have made a difference in someone's life um, and that they are encouraged, that my words have brought comfort in, in areas where they need to have uh, comfort. And that, you know, they, they've been... Yeah, more than anything, also find healing Mm. uh, in some areas. I certainly hope so. Amen. You heard it yourself, Em. A rollercoaster ride through the life of Sanele. What a beautiful work of the Lord in her life. The tip of wisdom was opened during our conversation both for the young and the old, for men and women, 
for black, white, green, or whatever color you are. I hope you saw yourself in part of her story and are inspired and sitting on the edge of your seat in anticipation of how God is weaving yours into a masterpiece, a pearl of immense value. Share the episode and subscribe to the podcast. I'm looking forward to hearing from you sent through your voice notes. Till next time, thank you for joining us. The grace of God is always rewriting our stories for our good and ultimately for the glory of the Lord. Sitting here with me is a lady who has lived fully aware of His grace and fully pursues life in all areas that God places her, with confidence that because He is pleased with her, His grace is covering and leading her. Meet Dr. Dinesh Pile, hailing all the way from Durban, but now based in Johannesburg. Let her story open your eyes to the amazing grace of God and leave you in awe and wonder of its trail in our lives. Wow! The amazing grace of our Father, fully evident in every area of Dinesh's life, from her family to her workplace to her travels and to any other things that she's pursued. I hope you've been inspired and are grateful even for the grace of God that is over your life. Share this episode with your friends and family. And thank you once again for joining us each and every week. I hope you will send through your comments. We would really love to hear from you. Share and subscribe. Till next time. Bye.